The following is a message by Professor Josh Van E. of Westminster Seminary, California. For more information about this message or Westminster Seminary, visit us online at westcal.edu or call us at 760-480-8474. That's online at wscal.edu or call us at 760-480-8474. Dear Heavenly Father, as we read your word together, we pray that uh, you will grant us insight and wisdom as you have promised, and as uh, it is uh, proclaimed, that you will apply it through your spirit. And We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So welcome, especially those prospective students here with us. Welcome to campus. Uh, The faculty often does a series through a particular book. And right now, we're going through one of my favorite books, the book of Deuteronomy. It's not everybody's favorite, but I'm an Old Testament professor, and, uh, and so it's one of my favorite. And so we're going to look at chapter 20, uh, really verses 5 through 7, Deuteronomy 25 through 7. I'll go ahead and read verses 1 through 9. And, and we'll see what uh, these verses have to teach us about God's law, and then especially uh, as that fits within Deuteronomy as a whole. So Deuteronomy chapter 20, starting with verse 1. This is God's word. When you go out to war against your enemies and see horses and chariots and an army larger than your own, you shall not be afraid of them, for the Lord your God is with you who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. And when you draw near to the battle, the priest shall come forward and speak to the people and shall say to them, Hear, O Israel, today you are drawing near for battle against your enemies. Let not your heart faint. Do not fear or panic or be in dread of them, for the Lord your God is he who who goes with you to fight for you against your enemies, to give you the victory. Then the officers shall speak to the people, saying, Is there any man who has built a new house and has not dedicated it? Let him go back to his house, lest he die in the battle, and another man dedicate it. And is there any man who has planted a vineyard and has not enjoyed its fruit? Let him go back to his house, lest he die in the battle, and another man enjoy its fruit." And is there any man who has betrothed a wife and has not taken her? Let him go back to his house, lest he die in the battle, and another man take her. And the officers shall speak further to the people and say, Is there any man who is fearful and faint-hearted? Let him go back to his house, lest he make the heart of his fellows melt like his own. And when the officers have finished speaking to the people, then commanders shall be appointed at the head of the people. I'm on Facebook, as I'm sure many of you are. But I really don't do much on Facebook. In fact, I have to admit, my wife created my account. And she goes on periodically, and she updates my pictures. Um, So if I haven't friended you yet, it's not because I don't like you. 
don't take it personally. It's just because I don't, I'm not really interested in Facebook. But I bring up Facebook because there's some interesting studies that have been done on how Facebook makes people envious, makes them less satisfied with their lives. People, they go onto their accounts, they look around, and what do they see? They see their friends and their pictures of all the various things that their friends are doing. They're going on vacation, they're having parties, they're getting promotions, all of these other things and suddenly their own lives look boring by comparison. And they are more dissatisfied because of Facebook. And, and I have to admit that when I have gone on, I've looked at uh, um, pictures that my wife has posted of our family vacations, and I look and I say, wow, that looks like a lot of fun. <laughs> and I was there, but it's, it sure looks a lot better than I remember. So, so what, what does Facebook have to do with laws on warfare in Deuteronomy? Well, have you ever thought of God's law, especially as described in Deuteronomy, as this picture of the good life? As this picture of the good life. Did you know that uh, ten times in Deuteronomy at least, I counted at least ten, Moses commands them to rejoice. That uh, over 15 times he speaks of things going well for them, uh, things for their good. And he refers to long life uh, over 10 times. And uh, next week, Dr. Vendrunen will uh, he'll speak on one of my favorite passages, Deuteronomy 4, 1 through 8. And in that passage... Uh, Moses talks about all the nations looking on, looking on Israel, looking on enviously. Uh, not because of the pictures they posted on Facebook, but because of the blessed life they have as they obey God's law. Well, our passage today somewhat uniquely helps us see this character of God's law. That it's made, that it's given to promote the good life. We could say. And uh, in the background is Israel before the monarchy. They didn't have a professional army. Everybody was, was a potential soldier. And, uh, and even with the kings, later on when they had some, of, uh, some professional troops, still everyone was eligible for military service. And so these troops would be called up. They'd gather together. Uh, and they would assemble, and our text says when that happens, then, then there's two speeches that need to occur. And, uh, and the first of those is the priest, as he comes out, reminds them where they need to place their confidence in this battle, this coming engagement. It's God who goes with them. It's God who gives the victory. And then we get these other officials who are coming up. These officials, they're probably associated with the tribes. They're probably there to help muster the troops together. And they come up and they give a most unusual command. They tell some people to go home. This is rather odd. 
We have four exemptions listed here, four groups that are called to go home. And our interest is really with the first three. The fourth one uh, is that if you're too frightened to fight, you probably should just go home anyway. You'll only hurt things. Uh, everybody else will run away when you run away. Um, but the other three deal with men who we can assume that they're able and willing to fight. But they're sent home. What nation does this? What nation sends able-bodied men away from a, a battle? And why? Well, verse 5, we get our first exemption. Is there anyone who's built a house and hasn't dedicated it? And, uh, and probably what it's getting at is, is they haven't moved in yet. They put in all the work to get this house built, and yet they haven't been able to enjoy uh, their labors. They haven't moved in. Uh, the second one, uh, verse 6 there, is there anyone who's planted a vineyard and they haven't used its fruit? They haven't been able to gather grapes from it in order to eat or more, more likely to make wine from it. And, uh, and we know from Leviticus 19 that this is a long process. Israel, when they planted trees of any kind, vines included, they had to wait five years before they could take of its fruit for their own use. Three years it was forbidden to them. The fourth year it was holy to the Lord. Finally, in the fifth year, then they could take it and then they could use it. Well, verse 7 then has this third exemption, and it's those engaged to be married. Uh, are you engaged to be married? Then you can go back home. And, and we find more about this, or, or um, related to it, you could say, just a couple pages over in Deuteronomy 24, that not only if you were just engaged, Deuteronomy 24, verse 5, says that uh, there's also an exemption for newlyweds. Uh, so the verse reads, When a man is newly married, he shall not go out with the army or be liable for any other public duty. He shall be free at home one year to be happy with his wife, whom he has taken. Uh, so he's free from military service for a year. Um, but, uh, but in our text, it's talking about, has, is he just engaged then he should go back. And with each of these exemptions that are listed, we have a reason. Right at the end of each verse, it says, Let him go back to his house, lest he die in the battle. Lest he die in the battle, and he not enjoy what he should have enjoyed. Uh, unless he die in the battle, and somebody else live in this house that he worked to build lest somebody else take of that fruit of the vine, this vine that he planted. Lest somebody else take his fiancée in marriage and take her as his wife. And, and so as we think of that, as we see these reasons given, they, I think we can see that they're trying to promote something about the good life, something about blessing here, something about man should be able, an Israelite, 
he should be able to enjoy what it is that he's worked for, what it is that he's put in time to. He should be able to enjoy the fruits of his labor. But I think we see this even more clearly as we compare with another passage in Deuteronomy. And so if you turn over with me to the list of the covenant curses, right? Deuteronomy chapter 28, you get covenant blessings for obedience and then covenant curses for disobedience. And in chapter 28, verse 30, one of the curses reads this way. So if you disobey Israel, this is what will come about. You shall betroth the wife, but another man shall ravish her. You shall build a house, but you shall not dwell in it. You shall plant a vineyard, but you shall not enjoy its fruit. This curse is mentioning, and I hope you can see that clearly, in almost the exact same language what the law was guarding against, what it was protecting Israel from. And this curse is listed not only here, we find it in the prophets, we find it in uh, Amos 5.11, Zephaniah 1.13, and we also find it throughout the neighbors of Israel in the ancient Near East. Uh, one particular treaty it is found in is the Esarhaddon Vassal Treaty. So this was a common curse that was known, a curse that uh, could be brought, uh, could be um, put against somebody. And it's been called a futility curse or a vanity curse. That a man will labor, but it'll be in vain. It'll be futile as he's unable to enjoy the fruits of his labor. And so God's law here in chapter 20 was protecting Israel from curse. To guard them against it. So that they wouldn't experience that in their life, in the good land in which he was bringing them. That they would instead experience blessing, not this vanity, this futility. And I think as, as we dwell on that and think of, of God's law in that way, this, this picture of the good life, we can really appreciate as we sang with the psalmist from Psalm 119, how he can treasure God's law. How he can delight in it, delight in its statutes. This law that's holy, righteous, good. This law that shows us this picture of the good life. But there was a problem, wasn't there? There wasn't a problem with the law. It was a problem with Israel. And... As we think of this law and what it, uh, what it shows us of the law in general, we have to put it within the book of Deuteronomy as a whole. To really understand Deuteronomy, we need to see that Moses not only shows them the blessing of the law, but he also shows them their inability to keep it because of their sinful hearts. And Moses in this doesn't mince words. There's many passages we can turn to, maybe most clearly is Deuteronomy 31, 26 through 27. Deuteronomy 31, 26 through 27, as he's, as he's right nearing the end of this book, he says, 
Take this book of the law, put it by the side of the ark of the covenant of the Lord your God, that it may be there for a witness against you. For I know how rebellious and stubborn you are. Behold, even today while I'm yet alive with you, you have been rebellious against the Lord. How much more after my death? And so Moses in Deuteronomy foretells that Israel will break God's covenant. They will not obtain the good life seen in the law, the blessing that resulted from obedience, but they'll experience the curse, finally leading to exile from God's good land. The law that showed them this good life, Moses said it would be there by the ark as a witness against them, showing them their sin and their failure. It would be really depressing if Moses ended there. But Moses continues, and we see this in a number of places where he foretells that God will provide a solution. And one of my favorite passages where he does that is in Deuteronomy chapter 30. As he again foretells and says of of what will come upon them. They're experiencing the curse. He says that God will eventually restore them. And not only that, he'll restore them, they'll return and they'll obey. They'll keep God's law. And they'll have the blessing that comes from that. But why? What will be different? Well, verse 30, sorry, verse 6 of chapter 30, we really get the key of that. As it says, What will be true in this new time? And the Lord, your God, will circumcise your heart and the heart of your offspring so that you will love the Lord, your God, with all your heart and with all your soul and and will live. This is the gospel preached by Moses to Israel. What Israel failed, what Moses said they will fail to do, what we certainly see as we read the historical books that they do fail to do, God would do. God would do. He would bring it about. He would accomplish it. And in the fullness of time, that's what we find. Jesus, God incarnate, he comes and he accomplishes all. Everything Israel couldn't through his perfect life, his sacrificial death. His blood provides the forgiveness for sin. His perfect obedience earns life for all who believe. And his spirit, right, the Holy Spirit that he sends out, sanctifies, conforms us to that perfect law. And that's what I really want you to think about and leave you with this morning. And it's because of that gospel promise that sinners like Israel, like you and me, that we can treasure God's law, that we can delight in it. The very same law that shows us every day our sin, 
That is that mirror that shows us the depths of our depravity, our need for Jesus as our Savior. It also shows us our future. Not because of anything we can do in ourselves, but because of God's promise. We will be perfect as Jesus is perfect. In that great and glorious day when he returns and all things are made new and sin no longer clings to us. And so as we look and as we think and as we hope and long for that day, may we strive even now, not in ourselves but with the Spirit, to live in conformity to God's perfect law. This law that shows us that picture of the good life. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we rejoice in your gospel, your blessing, your call to us sinners that you have accomplished all in Christ. And as we think of that, may it not lead us to negligence, may it not lead us to wanton living, but instead we see that purpose, that uh, future, as you now are sanctifying, you now are conforming, you now are renewing us by the Spirit, may we strive with the Spirit to more and more love your law, embrace your law, follow your law, because it is good and holy and perfect. And may we do it uh, only because we belong to Christ. And in his name we pray. Amen. Copyright 2014, Westminster Seminary, California. All rights reserved. You are permitted to reproduce and distribute this material in any format, provided that you do not alter the wording in any way and that you do not charge a fee beyond the cost of reproduction. For web posting, a link to this document on our website is preferred.